Hello, welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast, hosted on Revenge of the Birds, all Bird Gang Noble, and uh, we've got quite a show for you guys tonight. We'll be going over in detail one of the most difficult and frustrating losses I think that Arizona Cardinals fans can remember in quite some time on Thursday Night Football in front of a national audience, no less. Um, joined as always by my co-host, John Venerable. You can also find him on Twitter as at Johnny's Football. And John, where do we even begin with this uh, this Cardinals blowout loss to the Broncos, in which you saw the Cardinals down at the halftime of about thirty-five to three, get blown up forty-five to ten overall. And uh, Mike McCoy, at least, is gone. So a lot of fans are now like going, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." But where do we go from here with this team that right now is just looking like the thirty-second of thirty-two teams in the National Football League? Well, a lot of people wanted to compare that loss on Thursday to the Seattle beatdown of 2012. Uh, I think that final score was 58 nothing. Uh, but that team went on to win the Super Bowl. That Seahawks team is one of the best teams we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years, especially defensively. And the Cardinals, uh, by all accounts, were sporting a very mediocre, probably bottom-tier roster. Uh, and they were on the road. This game... I think was more embarrassing. You're talking about national televised game against a two and four Denver Bronco team uh, that has not played well, had lost four straight. I think this Arizona Cardinal team has more talent than that 2012 team did. Uh, this Bronco team probably is going to end up firing their head coach. The Cardinals come out and embarrass themselves, just look completely inept in all stages. Have to call a timeout offensively, second play of the game. How many of your That's first? Crazy. How many of your first, you know, plays of a game are scripted? Probably, what, 10 to 15? Maybe your first drive or two drives, you've got scripted plays and then you adjust on the fly depending on what the defense shows you. Mike McCoy in the offense couldn't get the play and they had to call a timeout. I mean, it, was, it looked like a high school team that had no idea what they were doing. It, it was completely inept and frustrating and embarrassing. Uh, all that fans should know – is that Michael Bidwell just had his headphones on in the, you know, I think in the third quarter they showed he and Kime up in the press box and it was that embarrassing that he, he wasn't even, you know, taking, you know, interactions with other people in the press box. I mean, he, the, the guy had his headphones in and I would be too. I, I would be embarrassed. Um, and I think that, you know, Blake, you and I mentioned on last week's podcast, I thought that Mike McCoy would get fired on Friday. He did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I did not see the Cardinals winning this game. Uh, even if they had won, I thought it would be another you know defensive effort like the Niner game. Uh, I thought the Bronco defense, and they showed they played really well. They played inspired. They said they were going to, uh, and they just embarrassed the Cardinals up and down the field. Uh, I was surprised the Cardinal defense played as badly as they did. But again, uh, everything that you know you've seen when it, when an offense is this bad, uh, it wears on the entire team. And why should the defense come out ready to play and produce each and every week? if they're not going to be, you know, backed up with, with any kind of point total. And so, you know, you look at the offensive totals from this game. Cardinals rushed 21 times for 69 yards. It's a 3.3 yards per carry average. David Johnson held under a 3 point uh, yards per carry average, 39 total yards on the ground uh, to a Broncos defense that had given up 600 rushing yards over the last two games total. Brutal. By far the last in the NFL. Worse, if you can imagine, than the Arizona Cardinals run defense. <laughs> it was for one game, basically, it was worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was – and everybody who thought, well, the Cardinals are going to be able to come out and establish the run, uh, they, they didn't get anything on the ground going. Josh Rosen 
uh, had a pretty lackluster game. I don't think he played as badly as his stats would indicate. But if you were to go on Twitter that night, everyone, you know, was basically ready to deem him as the the NFL's, you know, uh, rookie draft bust. Uh, his first pick six was on a tip ball, fluke play. His second pick six, J.J. Nelson didn't complete his route. J.J. Nelson really has no place on this team right now, mm-hmm. but he has really – like Christian Kirk's having to tell J.J. Nelson where to line up. J.J. Nelson's been in this league for <laughs> four years. This is his fourth year, and you're, you're having a rookie tell you where to line up. I know it's a new offense. Like he's a complete liability. So his second pick six wasn't his fault. Third interception, he's just trying to make a play. It wasn't a great throw in the end zone. Rosen uh, completed 21 passes, just shy of 200 yards. Did have a touchdown to Fitz in the third quarter. The Cardinals did not cross 300 yards in this game. They still don't have 300 total yards as a team <laughs> this year, which I can't. I can't believe we're saying that heading into to week six or to week eight. Uh, but here we are. Uh, I think that you know we'll talk about all the changes that we think will will come about with Byron Leftwich, but we do need to spend some time on on this game. I think this Denver Bronco embarrassment. I think needed to happen. It needed to happen on national television so that it could be a wake-up call to the organization because I think they were kind of going through the motions at this point. And, Blake, you and I were talking off-air. It's, it's sad when the fan base has been, you know, more right than wrong than the organization has, the higher-ups, the execs, that, you know, fans knew the Bradford signing was a terrible signing. They knew that, you know, Mike McCoy was probably the worst-case scenario as your offensive coordinator. You and I like the Steve Wilkes hire, but clearly he's in over his head. I, I was on the fence probably two or three weeks ago uh, of firing him after one year. I thought that would be too early. Uh, I, I'm on the camp now. I think there's a 75% chance he does lose his job, and they call him Mulligan on the year. Uh, you cannot expose your young rookie quarterback to this kind of ineptitude. Um, I think the whole, you know, basically it shows you how up this, this coaching staff is. You know, you're leaving Josh Rosen in, in this game. Uh, already had given up five sacks on the day fourth and like 16 you're down you're getting blown out (laughs) they leave him in last play of the game and he almost comes down with serious injury thankfully it's only turf toe he's going to be all right and should probably play uh, a week from today uh, at home against San Francisco but imagine if that had been an ACL or even a a short-term injury knock him out for a couple weeks like that's almost a fireable offense by by Steve Wilkes to leave him in for that that's a joke I would have put um, Mike Glennon in probably around five minutes left in the fourth quarter just because, like, what's the point? Uh, Mike McCoy was promptly fired Friday morning. He was, he was fired. This is how ridiculous it all was. Mm-hmm. 8 a.m. Arizona time, Friday morning. Like, they knew. I thought it was going to come out Thursday night, but they knew. I mean, outside of the Cardinals lighting up the Broncos for 40-plus points, I, I knew Mike McCoy was going to lose his job. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm at the point now where it's just like, when will Steve Wilkes be fired? Because right now he has shown no indication that he is an NFL-capable head coach. He was a one-year coordinator in the NFL, pretty good coordinator, but clearly won over Steve Keim with his ability to motivate. But right now, that ability is being tested and embarrassed on a national level, and the Cardinals really are in route probably for the first pick in the draft and have one of the worst situations in all of football. There's no other way to put it, Blake. Yeah, it's awful. And a lot of that is just like you talked about. The fans were the ones who clearly doubted this with issues. And even when you come down to how many times, it wasn't really even that the Cardinals were in a space of being able to 
it wasn't even that you're in a space of that with, with, with Mike McCoy of being able to see that the team had not improved or had not made any forward progress. Like you talk about how they had to have the head to cover the head to call it, had to call a time players weren't lined up right. It happened in the very, like one of the first series against the Redskins in week one. So this is talking about how this is almost halfway through the season and there's been zero progress. And that's, I, I wrote an article, I think that came out before the game about with the kind of the warning signs and issues with Steve Wilkes. And the biggest one overall was that Mike McCoy has never been successful in running the football. That's what Steve Wilkes hired him to do. And that's, part of the reason why this was such a poor and terrible fit just looking even at what they did in the game you were saying hey here's what we need to do like uh, not that I, I honestly don't think McCoy had any chance of keeping his job but you look at how it was in a game where you were getting blown out they basically had Rosen attempt the ball uh, basically throw the ball 40 times as a rookie quarterback took six sacks with everything and you're looking at I think you had a QBR of 3.0 which is like the lowest of the season outside of the Buffalo Bills and you're talking about this is just a no-win situation where I think David Johnson he basically only got 14 carries so you're talking about going up against the 32nd ranked rushing defense in the NFL, you come right out, and then the offensive line, you've got two backup guards in. They don't get any push, a loss of one yard in the play, the second down, and had to use the timeout. You're just like, oh, that, that's it. This is a scripted play. Like, you're not communicating everything properly. And they had the interception that went back, and then Mike McCoy, instead of running the ball on third and one, he passes it. And then there was another play later in the game where I believe it was a third and five where you know, Arizona was still down, but they were just trying to get first downs, keep the defense off the field. And he just went and – and pushed out and all of a sudden you're looking at oh this is a third and five and they're just going to hand the ball off right up the middle again it, it was one of the most pathetic displays I think you can see of in a high tension high, uh, high you know high stakes type of game and I think that part of the reason why is I don't think that this was really a high stakes kind of job security area Frank McCoy I think that he knew and the players knew leading into that game that he was a, a dead man walking he was out after this game was done they were just trying to get to where they had the mini buy Cardinals have one game in the next 24 days to be able to do their best to try to fix some of the plays at the offense and get things righted for the ship as far as it just showed the lack of faith and the lack of leadership that was there. But um, just to kind of touch on what you said, John, I do believe that this is the game that people remember because of the firing of being kind of the game that got Mike McCoy fired. But I don't think that was the case. I think that he was already gone. And I think this may be the game Correct. you look back and say that this may be the game that gets Steve Wilkes let go and fired, if not just because of how ill-prepared the defense was. It looked like they didn't really have any type of – any clue of what was going on of how to stop Denver with running the football. That's all that Denver really was able to do. They were just throwing it well on the Cardinals. The defense looked like they had no idea what was coming and what was at stake. And when you're talking about what the decision that the coaches has of leaving him in, it was after the game, it was like, you know, we left him in, we thought we wanted some good looks, but maybe, you know, it was going to be kind of a mistake. And it was the quotes after the next day when they were talking to Marcus Gold and say, what does Steve Wilkes tell you after the loss? And this is one of your core guys, a leader on the team, one of like the, maybe one of the biggest character guys in the Cardinals, uh, even across the NFL and Marcus Gold. And he says, he said the same thing that he says every single week. And when you hear that, that is such an indictment that it makes me believe that the Cardinals ultimately have lost faith in the regime of Wilkes and McCoy and once you get to that point it just ends up turning into a spot of you really have nowhere to go except for just saying up oh, the season's just we already know that it's done and we're heading to 2019 but now you're talking about what's going to be what this franchise is built on because are you going to have to end up blowing up the ship and going into it for next year are you going to be talking about trying to put together you know enough of an effort with left which look there's so many questions that are hanging out in the air but I think that this is the game where when you point to this one say at 45 10 this was the same type of game that that 
58-0 that Steve, Bid, or excuse me, Mike Bidwell made up his mind and said, that's it. We have to clean house. We have to move on. We just need to have a brand new fresh start because this is not working and it's becoming a toxic environment, a toxic culture. And I really just feel sorry right now for the guys, like not just the fans, but for Patrick Peterson and for the Chandler Jones and for uh, David Johnson, who got it, you know, fortunately he got his contract essentially. Imagine if David Johnson is, you know, seven weeks into the season and hadn't gotten a contract yet. He's having to play for his deal next year about how that is. So, uh, you know, props to him for being able to at least uh, be able to see some of that. But John, like I just looked at the schedule and looked at all the stuff and with Wilkes, I was even going to write an article talking about how, you know, what are some of the reasons for defense or for bringing Steve Wilkes back? I wanted to have four reasons. And I really could come up with two. The only reason I came up with one was just the contract. If you just hired, you need to give guys time. And the second was just looking at, that there's been some defensive progress as far as guys who are able to, you're not seeing total blowouts as much you're seeing some adapting where Chandler Jones is picking things up you're seeing some Patrick Peterson as far as in coverage he had another great interception where he basically ran the route of the wide receiver but John right now I think the entirety of the Arizona Cardinals is just built around Byron Lefwich and Josh Rosen doing the best to fix all this and I think it's going to be an overhaul going into next year where I really don't see how you can survive if you're Steve Wilkes when you're saying all right if Steve Wilkes is going to continue to be our coach he has to basically be able to show the defensive improvement because that's what Michael Bid will say. He says, we want to see rapid improvement. You're going to be going up against the Chargers, going up against the Packers. You're going up against the Chiefs coming out of the bye week, going up against the Rams again. Seattle's offenses look much improved. You're just going to be going up against the Falcons on the road. This is going to be the toughest part of their schedule is coming up. And you've already had a ravaged offensive line. You've already had a lot of some of your defenders. Trey Boston, at least we'll see how much longer he's at. Ricky Seals-Jones, look like he may have had a really serious arm injury you're entering into the toughest stretch of the season. You're having to remake everything. And I just don't see any way that Steve Wilk can just, I don't see any way he can survive this John. Yeah. I think he'll lose his job again. I didn't think that uh, a couple weeks ago, but I've been saying since the beginning of the season that I thought the defense would make gradual improvements as they got adjusted to the four, three scheme uh, over the course of the season. I thought they'd start slow and by, you know, week 10, 11 hit their stride. Um, because you and I both think there's a good amount of talent on this defense. Most of their first-round picks are on defense. A lot of their uh, marquee free agent signings have been defensively. They are more than uh, regressing in the the wrong direction. Joe Buck even said it on Thursday night. This has been a top five, six defense uh, under uh, the last two defensive coordinators, and now you're suddenly one of the worst with all this talent, and you're playing teams that are – traditionally uh, average offensively to begin the season, the Broncos, the Seahawks, the Bears, the Niners, and you're struggling to stop these teams. And I think the biggest indictment of Steve Wilkes right now is when he got he was questioned again about personnel use with his defense and the fact that, you know, these guys shine before you got here. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course, and, and he basically said, well, if you look at Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson, they're having great years in this scheme, it's like those are two potential Hall of Fame players <laughs> that are having good years. They what should about, be doing good. They yeah. should be doing good. What about the basically those two first-round linebackers who have become complete non-factors in Dayom Buchanan and Hassan Reddick? What about the defensive line? What about the secondary right now that's getting, you know, got torched on Thursday night? Uh, that, that to me was a huge indictment of Steve Wilkes. It's like – we talked about this last week, Blake. Like, what does he, what does he bring to the table? What do you do well? If Marcus Golden is speaking for the locker room and his message is already falling on deaf ears, like 
that'll be it for Steve. And it's unfortunate because most of the time you only get one shot to be a head coach. And this is probably it for Steve Wilkes. Uh, he's, you know, almost, I think he's right around 50, 51, 52. So this, this will be it because I don't foresee him depending on whether or not he gets another coordinator job can flip that again. I think we're going to look back in 10 years and most of the league, 90% of the league can have offensive coaches anyway. I think that's just where the league is going. Uh, and I think we'll look back and say, how do we ever have defensive guys running our franchises? But, you know, that's neither here or there. I think what, what Michael Bidwell and maybe Steve Kime, if he's still around, will have to look at is, okay, we've got Josh Rosen on a, a really a five-year window, right? We've got him on a rookie contract for the next four years. We've, we're, we've already wasted 20%. And that's kind of the scary way to look at it. It's like basically what the Rams did with Jared Goff. It's like, okay, like – we need to make sure that even though his rookie season is a disaster from a team standpoint, like we need momentum going into next year. Can Steve Wilkes provide that? The only reason Ken Wisenhut kept his job uh, in 2011, the team started out, I think like one in six or something ridiculous and, and won a bunch of games at the end of the season, finished eight and eight, had no business doing so, did it with a lot of smoke and mirrors. That got Wisenhut to the next season. They were terrible. He lost his job. How and Steve Wilkes is not is not nearly as accomplished, obviously, as mm-hmm. Ken Wisner, who took the team to the Super Bowl. If Steve Wilkes can put together a strong second half, you don't have to win every game. You don't even have to win half your games. But if you're competitive, if you're in the games, that's something. And you've got again winnable games on the schedule based on talent. But the Cardinals again look so inept and confused and unprepared, like there's no reason to believe that they're going to win another game this season. San Francisco doesn't have half the talent Arizona does right now on the roster, and I'm confident in saying San Francisco is going to be, going to be able to put up 25-plus points easily next weekend. Just based yeah, they on, turn the ball over like four or five more times like they did today, but you can see the offensive mind and how they're using it. Correct. You know, drive down the field, and it turns into a talent issue with them. And I think that the Cardinals also have a talent issue. But coaching is one of the biggest and clearest things you have in the uh, in the NFL and everything. It was interesting just to uh, just to kind of before to get back with what you're saying, John. I was watching the game today, and some people are breaking down just what Jared Goff has done in the what he's done in the offense uh, with the difference between Sean McVay and the difference between what he was doing under uh, Jeff Fisher. And it was fascinating because the 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 Rams were in the red zone and I looked at that and I saw that they were checking under center and looking at just from some of the stories, some of the people, I think it's Justice Muscade and others have been talking about on Twitter with how their offense was. They were under center. Gurley was in the back and like, Oh, it's first down. This is going to be a play action pass to a guy who's wide open. And I was like, how do you know? I said, watch what happens. And so what happened was you got to see, they cleared out the zone. It vacated the area throws to a wide open guy right up the middle. And so because of being able to use all of the different areas of how the NFL and the offense is understanding that it put them at the spot of first and goal run the ball right in the middle with Gurley touchdown and that's just iced and put the game away and it was ultimately good coaching to understand everything who's used the play action the least amount so far in the NFL <laughs> Mike McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals and a yeah. lot of that is just a sign of where you can recognize where it's going and to be able to see and to have that awareness that's just the biggest indictment I felt at least at the Cardinals was you've really seen what the path was under Bruce Arians you didn't see as much success the last couple of years. Injuries is the part of it. an aging quarterback. You kind of needed to rebuild and you really needed to fire your special teams coach a lot earlier than they did. That's how part of why Bruce Arians, you know, didn't end up getting to the playoffs in those last two years was just some of those old loyalties that you had. Fortunately, 
Uh, Steve Wilkes didn't seem to have that same loyalty with Mike McCoy, and it probably would have cost him both of him and McCoy for sure their jobs end of the year if he had. But it was just an indictment overall of you had the path to success with an offensive mind and this idea of creativity and play calling and this type of model and then bringing in a veteran defensive guy like what we had talked about leading up to the entire entire path and they went for a guy who's totally the opposite and now they're saying oh we're kind of admitting we were wrong we're going back with Byron Leftwich who's a Bruce Arians guy and you're like how is it that you're able to make that mistake in the first place I just I just don't get it John yeah it's baffling but again I, I liked the hire at the time I I wanted an offensive guy because I was fearful of, of this happening, but I thought that Steve Wilkes could kind of be that exception. And, and, you know, he's a defensive specialist, but at the same time, like, can he be a motivator? Like Mike Tomlin can be, can he command the locker room? Can he be kind of like a Tony dungeon esque head coach? And he's right now he's taken a team that I think a lot of people look, I didn't think that they were going to be a playoff team. I didn't, I didn't think they were going to be 500 based on the strength of, of the, the division and, you know, some of the personnel moves they've made in the offseason, like Bradford starting. But, like, there's no reason this team shouldn't be more competitive than they are. There's no reason this team shouldn't win five games, you know, comfortably, uh, especially when you look at their schedule and some of the other teams falling the way they have been. Um, but it's unfortunate because you never want to root for someone to get fired, to lose their job. I think that's kind of the biggest misconception with fans. Mm-hmm. And some fans may do that. And that's unfortunate. But like, this is a business. You know, I I don't feel sorry for coaches who make like Mike McCoy legitimately makes seven figures as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. He's had multiple opportunities to prove that he can coach at this level and produce. He was really gifted his first head coaching job with the San Diego Chargers because of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning got him that job. Yes, he had that one outlier season with Tebow. But, again, Peyton Manning took his career to the next level in 2012. He left. He had Phillip Rivers, eventually got fired from San Diego, mm-hmm. went to Denver, got fired, and now has been fired again, so three times in, in three calendar years. But Mike McCoy is a wealthy man, is going to be fine, will probably get a position coach position at some point, maybe go to the college ranks and be a coordinator. Like he, is, he is set for life financially. But this is a business, and you have to produce. The Cardinals have 92 points on the season through seven games. Like, that's unfathomable in today's NFL. Their defense right now is below average, especially when you consider the personnel that they have. So I, I want Mike McCoy to do well because I think he's a good person. Like, like, of course, like you don't want you know bad things to happen to good people. But this is a business, and you cannot take the talent that the Cardinals have on defense – and be this, you know, below average, this embarrassing. And then if you're expected to lead a locker room, this is there's 32 head coaches for a reason. That these are these are supposed to be the most elite coaches, football coaches in the world. There's only 32 jobs. That's why people always say, well, so and so is going to pass on this job. He's going to stay in college. Like rarely that happens because there's so few positions in the NFL. How many college, you know, positions are there? Hundreds, right? Legitimate college programs, there's probably about 50 out there. There's 32 professional football jobs in this country, head coaching jobs in this country. And right now, Steve Wilkes has an opportunity to take a, a roster that, that really has room to grow in the offseason with a rookie quarterback, $70 million in cap space, and a top five pick, mm-hmm. and do some good things. But you 
if he's not the guy, you can't waste your time with him. You have to, you have to, you cannot go into next season like they're doing with Vance Joseph this year in Denver. Oh, yeah. Even though they don't have a rookie quarterback to worry about. You, you can't go into next year five, six games in and be like, oh, we should have fired Steve Wilkes. Oh, we should have fired Vance Joseph. Like, that's what Steve Kime can't do. And I think that, I, I think the misconception I think with a lot of fans is, well, if you fire Steve Wilkes, you'll get the reputation of really kind of pulling the trigger quick with, with, you know, letting go coaches. I think that's, I think that's not true. The Cardinals wanted to keep probably Bruce Arians on staff. He, he opted to retire. That was a home run hire. The Ken wasn't on hire worked out. He got them to a Super Bowl. He won two NFC West championships, won an NFC championship. It was the first uh, time they had sustained success in a long, long time. Yeah. And in 10 and six, one of the highest win totals they'd had in years and years. <laughs> That's that, that was a successful hire. I wouldn't be surprised if he's inducted into the ring of honor one day. Like that was a successful hire. It ran its course. Most of these guys don't get to retire on their own terms. Right. So mm-hmm. before Steve Wilkes, you went two for two. So now you've got Steve Wilkes and you're probably going to have to pull a mulligan. Like you can explain that to um, individuals, agents, because you're going to talk to their agent before you talk to them. And you're going to say, John Filippo's agent. They're going to say, why did you fire Steve Wilkes? We thought it would work out. It just didn't for whatever reason, but this is our history. We, we kept- <laughs> you could also just say, look over at their rushing defense with that one and look at yeah. obviously. Sometimes it is really much more at the – the issue isn't firing after one year. The issue mm-hmm. is if you're in a situation where you do – like I think even for Cardinals fans or for Arizona sports fans can talk about firing – the Suns fired the GM 10 days before the season began because he didn't have a point guard. And you're looking at like, okay, this is an emotional decision. Why did you leave him in? But it's kind of those crazy type of things or more of what you'd assume from the Bill Bidwell type of hirings that you would have. Uh, or even like with you're talking about with firing Mike McCoy, it was, you could see it had to come because it wasn't like it was a, wow, you fired, gave up on him too soon. I even saw some people on Twitter saying it wasn't the offensive coordinator's fault. Yeah. And a lot of the things when you look at that was, is it's a, it's a testament to, yes, it's probably not completely his fault. The players did do a lot. But you also have to take a look at the other side of just the decisions, the process done, and also the fact that, you know, it's 656 days in between he's been fired from three different jobs within basically, as I said, the two calendar years. Like David Johnson scored 20 plus TDs two years ago. And you've, you've factored him right now. You've, you've, you've put him in a position where he cannot do anything offensively. Like, think about that. David Johnson's in the prime of his career. He's 26 years old. He's averaging 3.2 yards per carry. I don't want to hear about the offensive line. With 3.2 yards per carry, criminally has only 20 receptions on the season, like for 166 <laughs> yards. David Johnson, who was the offensive you know, MVP two years ago, 20-plus TDs, the only reason he didn't have success last year, he was hurt. The Cardinals have way more talent. Even even people who are not in the know with this franchise, who aren't fans of this franchise, mm-hmm. will look and say, well, the Cardinals are underachieving, clearly. That's why everybody wants to pick the pocket of the Cardinals, especially with their defensive personnel. It's like, I want to go and trade for Patrick Peterson or Chandler Jones or Hassan Reddick or Dale Buchanan. Like, there's a reason for that. Because the Cardinals, on paper, have good players. Not great players, not a playoff roster, but they have good players. In today's NFL, you ought to be able to sneeze and score 20 points. Like, seriously, with the rule changes, with all of these home games that the Cardinals have had, like, you should not be averaging 13 points a game in 2018. 
That just, that's, that's unacceptable. It can't happen. So, you know, back to my original point, like you're going to be able to sell that to any coach and just say like, Hey man, Steve Wilkes, good guy over his head. We need somebody who can command this team mm-hmm. and can drive results home. I would not be surprised if, and when they fire Steve Wilkes, I, I predict they won't even interview a defensive head coach or a defensive yeah. coordinator for the job. Like it's going to be all offense all the time. I'm excited about it because I think that it gives, will give Rosen some continuity. This is, this is going to be Josh Rosen's sixth offensive coordinator in his career in five years. That's way too many, but <laughs> yep, you yep. get a guy like a John Filippo or somebody like that to come in, you know, that at minimum that coach is going to get two to three years to implement a scheme to get things rolling and the Cardinals will have a new identity and it will be built around Josh Rosen, David Johnson, Christian Kirk, a a brand new draft class, 70 plus million dollars in cap space and a top three and a top three pick pick in the draft. If we can just get to January with Josh Rosen showing progress with Byron Leftwich, and I don't, I'm impartial. Like I want Leftwich to succeed, but like Mm -hmm. I'm not rooting for him to like keep his job. Like he's probably not going to keep his job. If Wilkes gets fired, right? Because they're going to bring on uh, an offensive-minded head coach that's mm-hmm. going to run his own system, and yeah. so like Leftwich is probably going to lose his job. It's not like Jim Bob Cooter with the Lions; they hire Matt Patricia, they keep Jim Bob Cooter on because Patricia is a defensive coach. Like the only way Byron Leftwich keeps his job, in my opinion, is if Wilkes keeps his job. And for that to happen, the Cardinals are going to ha- need to go on a heck of a run. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with MyBookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the hardest part of the run again is the schedule. But I think that you're right when you're talking about with the, the fact of what the head coaching, I think we'll have a lot. We'll get into some of what we'll expect under Byron Leftwich um, in our next segment. But I think that you're right in when you're looking at the number of coaches and outside of a situation, even like the Lions had where they kept their offensive coordinator, uh, if you're, that's part of it is that they like Jim Bob Cooter. They knew they were going to be letting go of Jim Caldwell, and they were bringing in a defensive guy in Matt Patricia. They really, like, isolated and brought him in. And uh, I think it was going to be – I'll have to take a look at least as far as for with the um, ideology. But there's a lot of these one-year defensive coordinators who kind of end up working their way up the ranks and get hired as head coaches. And you see the same type of this conservative, kind of a, almost kind of playing chicken type of play calling where you don't really go out to win the game so much as you're attempting not to lose the game in a lot of senses. And that was some of what we saw with the Cardinals, even in this game with the Broncos, where they had some obvious plays where instead of kind of going for it to be able to keep drives going, they would just kind of run a running play and punt. And then they changed that at the end of the game to start trying to just throw the ball with Josh at the end of it, which made 
no sense whatsoever. But I think that you're right in terms of the process and how we're putting things together, at least for all of that. And um, that's the thing we're going to talk about next over here on the Bergen Blitz is the person and the man who hired Steve Wilkes and brought in Mike McCoy, at least, was Steve Keim. Is he under fire? Should he be? That's going to be coming up next year in our next segment of the Bird Gang Blitz. And we're back here on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. So, John, let, let's talk a little bit about Steve Kime because he went on the radio the day after, which is one of the positives, I think, of that was the first time this season where you got to talk to Steve Kime with the media the very day after a game to be able to hear that. And, uh, again, like we talked about, the disappointment of this game as far as the 58-0 game against the Seahawks. I, I think we forget that we already had one of those type of games with a 34-0 loss mm. to the Rams earlier this season that kind of led into the Bears game and the ultimate benching of Sam Bradford. We got to a spot where you really question now you've had two of these games out on two of these massive blowouts that have kind of caused some sweeping changes already. What does this kind of say at least about the process with the hiring? I know we've talked a lot about everything with there and you know we talked about there's positives as far as for maybe you should double down on the defense. You didn't have a quarterback at the time. Looking at some of the benefits of you know the of not overlooking and trying to see and look into minority hire. Ironically Arizona I think is one of the very few teams in NFL history now who actually has a uh, with minority uh, head coach, offensive coordinator with Byron Leftwich, and defensive coordinator. And a lot of people are still like <laughs> looking at potentially to move on anyway. So it's not ever a, you know, it's never a, a guarantee as far as that you're going to nail the coaching hire like you talked about with Wisenhunt and with Aries. But gosh, like, how did we get into this spot for that one? And is Steve Kime someone who's going to be on the hook when you're looking at how all of these first round picks are just not seeing the field or not playing well? And you just, to say the Cardinals, one of their biggest problems is a lack of talent. And that falls right under the general manager yeah he just he hasn't been good enough Blake with his first round picks that's evident now and he's got to be wondering you know I hired Steve Wilkes and, and made him my guy and he doesn't want to play Dayon Buchanan he was hesitant to play Hassan Reddick these guys have been in the fold since April and why isn't he playing my first round linebackers what's going on with Robert Kim DJ Humphreys looked really bad on Sunday. Um, so you go back since 2013 with Jonathan Cooper, uh, Steve Kime has not drafted one impact first round pick. You could, you could argue outside of Dayon Buchanan for a couple years, he has not drafted one quality first rounder. That is not a recipe for success in the NFL. The reason Steve Kime was great early on was Yes, he had Bruce Arians. He hired Bruce Arians, but he made a couple of shrewd, not a couple, several shrewd moves in free agency from 2013 to 2015 that got the Cardinals on the verge of a, a Super Bowl appearance. Um, but it's been downhill since then. I do think he had a good draft this past season uh, with Rosen and Kirk uh, specifically, but his drafts just haven't, haven't cut it. Then you mix in the fact that he had an extreme DUI in the offseason. I thought he might have lost his job following that. Uh, the team stuck by him. It will be interesting. Uh, I would, wouldn't have thought this after they stuck by him with the DUI. I think there's a 50-50 chance. I think there's a better than good chance Wilkes loses his job. I think it's 50-50 if Kime keeps his job. Um, because you got to think about, are you going to let Steve Kime hire another head coach? Because then – you know, you're committing to your next head coach. If you fire Steve Wilkes, more than likely you got to ensure that that next head coach has two to three years minimum. 
So let's say the Cardinals mm-hmm. struggle next year with a new coach and it's because of personnel and you fire Steve Kime next year, you're going to saddle your new GM with a coach he didn't That's hire? So much, yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, and then if you're going to keep Steve Wilkes on, or excuse me, keep Steve Kime on, are you going to keep Wilkes on too then and just let their fates line up together and go all in for 2019? I still think the more most likely outcome is they're going to let Steve Kime have a mulligan with Steve Wilkes and say, I found Bruce Arians when nobody else did. Uh, I got, I was fooled by Steve Wilkes and, you know, all the bravado and our interactions, you know, away from the field. Let me get this right. Hire offensive guy. Should have hired an offensive guy. But then you got to ask him, what were you thinking giving Sam Bradford 20 million? And why haven't any of our first round picks been able to produce at all? And why haven't you been able to build up the offensive line? Like you said, you were going to make it a priority when you were hired. I mean, there are a lot of questions for Steve uh, that I think are justifiable. Uh, that Friday interview he did with Doug and Wolf was very somber. It was, it was, it was the kind of interview that you, you got from a, from a general manager who knows that his time with the organization could be ending nine more games potentially. Uh, again, I'm not rooting for that. I think Steve Kime is a good GM on the surface. I think he can make mm-hmm. moves to help this team win a championship. And now that he has his quarterback in place, I'd really like to see what he could do because I know he can be aggressive in free agency. And the question was, can he be aggressive enough in the draft to get a quarterback? He answered that. Now can Steve Kime flip this roster and make it a Super Bowl contender again? He's done it once before. Like say what you will, like the Cardinals had the best roster in the NFL for about a two-year period, 2014, 2015. They had a great roster. They didn't have a pass rusher, and they didn't have a quarterback in waiting, but they had everything else. I mean, you talk to anybody. Greg Cosell went on radio, I remember in 2015, listening to it on Fox Sports and said the Cardinals had the best roster in the NFL. And and they did, or at least a top three roster. And that was all Steve Kime. He did that on his own. And so kudos to him. Hasn't been as good lately. Needs to be better. I think you will be better. Um, But I think right now, if the team keeps going on this trajectory where it's like, None of the players are developing. Steve needs some of these younger guys to develop and showcase these next, you know, six to eight weeks. And if that happens, he's in good shape. That's why I think some veterans could be moved next week. We'll talk about the trading Mm -hmm. deadline and who we think could be traded. But, like, you know, Brandon Williams just looks terrible out there. Doesn't have any defensive, you know, prowess. Doesn't play on defense. Has no business returning kicks. You know, it's like – TJ Logan was so impressive with all the kick returns in his first yeah. game. You got Brandon Williams out there because you're like, what, do you need a second corner on the roster? Or is it that you just only are using the, the two running backs because you need to have a fullback be active and it's a fullback that you're not using. It's just, it doesn't make it, a lot of the moves have just made no sense. And Williams, I know he got the game off to a bad foot and put the team in multiple bad spots by returning the kickoffs out to the 12 or 13. And granted Denver's kicker did a great job of putting them at the two yard line, but it was just like almost a spot on film of, Hey, look, he can't return kicks. Let's make sure we kick these ones short. I'll have to return it. We'll just tackle them right away. It was just an area of the Cardinals are consistently getting out coached week in and week out. And when they come out of the half outside of this week is the first week, you know, seven games that they actually scored a touchdown the third quarter. And it was essentially kind of a garbage time touchdown that really doesn't count or matter at all. It's just, they're getting out coached and anyone can really see that they're kind of almost handing a lot of the games to the other teams, even if they're close, uh, almost the week before the win against San Francisco. And, 
it's just it's a bad situation. And the fact that the players can see it, I think, is what makes it worse as well. Yeah, and you've got Robert Kimdiche presumably losing his starting spot to Rodney Gunter, even though Kimdiche is the only – and Corey Peters is having a really nice season. Mm-hmm. But Robert Kimdiche has a higher upside than any defensive lineman on the roster. Uh, Rodney Gunter, to me, hasn't shown anything, especially from a you know rushing the passer standpoint. You draft uh, a defensive tackle early, you want him to be able to rush the passer. Most all – Defensive linemen can stop the run unless you play for the Cardinals, apparently. But uh, I guess Kim Dichi was not staying true to his gap assignment, has started playing well early in the season, and now is being benched, presumably. So there's there you have Dayon Buchanan, Robert Kim Dichi, back-to-back, or not back-to-back, but 2014-2016 first-round picks not playing. Hassan Reddick, does he have a role? I mean, like, he has he looked just completely out of position week in and week out. I mean, like, there's three out of your last four first-round picks not playing or, or playing sparingly, and it's just like, why did I – Kime's got to be asking himself, well, why did I trust Steve Wilkes to get the most out of these players? You know, it's it's scary because, like, every week the two leading tacklers for the Cardinals are Antoine Bethea and Buda Baker. That means that your defense is allowing runners to get to the second and third level. Yep, linebackers are not performing. And that's kind of what I know I've had discussions with people of, is it a linebacker talent problem or is it a scheme problem? And I think that it's less a scheme problem as far as that when the scheme is there and all the pieces are fitting together and it works. I think we've seen some of the success that was there in Carolina. We've seen areas where they've been able to stop the run. We even look at last year with the playoff game of where they sold out to stop the run and then Drew Brees ended up beating the Panthers by basically just passing for almost 400 yards or so. So it's not that the, the defense is having issues because of the scheme is wrong and bad. I think it's the mentality behind it as far as Sure, you don't have the linebackers to make up for some of the different areas, but it's the lack of adjusting they have. And it's even with putting Patrick Peterson, he's kind of been shadowing guys a lot more. I think he was shadowing Marius Thomas a bit more with some. Emmanuel Sanders broke free for a couple of, uh, you know, a long touchdown. And then on the misdirection play, you can look at as well. But I think it comes down to at least the mentality behind it is that we're not going to be really putting players in the best spot. It's more of we keep our spots together, discipline, everyone needs to execute. And that works great, I think, if you've got the team and everything all built together where everything can function like clockwork. That's not how most NFL defenses are able to work. Bruce Arians even, what they allowed with their defense is we're going to put the players in best chances to succeed, knowing some mistakes are going to happen. But if we're putting them in the best chance to succeed, you can get benefits and good plays that come out of it by just saying, hey, we're going to let Dan Buchanan do what he does best, being able to nosedive, be able to use that speed and athleticism, which I think he's been looking a little bit slower, especially in the coverage, to be able to knife through the open A gap that's a small hole, but he can knife through that hole and be able to kind of cause a tackle for loss. Some of just the mentality, I think, at least with Arizona, has really just shaken around. And the biggest thing I think is I just don't think that the defensive coordinators, the offensive coordinator, however it's set up, I don't think that they're communicating the defense as well as the players. We certainly know with the offense, without Mike McCoy, players were yelling at him to get the plays in faster, part of the reason for all the delays of games. It's just there is a lack of communication that was, I think, going on. And I just don't know as much of what to make with this team, especially considering with the fact that, you know, you're kind of last in all these different categories. And a lot of fans are going to be rooting for them to lose to the Niners next week because they're going to be afraid of missing out on a number one pick because there's just so many holes to fill, John. Like, but let's uh, let's pivot a little bit, I think, at least, and go and uh, talk a bit about what are you seeing, at least as far as some of the talent on this team and with Wilkes. I know we've talked a lot about that one with Steve Kime. Do you think that Steve Kime deserves to come back for – 
another year? And if so, what are the things that he's going to have to kind of do next year? Because again, we've got, I think it's, what is it? Three years or so left of Rosen basically on the cheap rookie deal. And there's that fifth year option, which of course the team will take, you know, 10 out of 10 times, uh, as long as your quarterback doesn't have a Teddy Bridgewater like injury. What do you think this team kind of has to do in this next couple of maybe it's the rest of the season and even into the off season, at least to kind of, you know, moving forward, what do you think that has to be? And then do you think that he's going to be able to pull that off? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I would probably give him one more year. Um, I think that he can evaluate talent uh, in the second and third round fairly well. And I think that he can tackle free agency and do some nice things. Uh, I don't know why he cannot nail his first round picks, but I know that the majority of his first round picks have been in the latter half of the first round, which means the team was winning. I mean, they had one losing season by, by essentially a half game two years ago. And now they're, they're falling apart at the seams. I don't know if I would, you know, kick him to the curb based on this one season when clearly they're, they're the worst coached team in the league. Now he hired Steve Wilkes. I will give him a mulligan on Wilkes. Like I don't, I'm not going to fire him over with the Wilkes hire. And the concerning thing is just the, the lack of production from your first rounders. But again, you get the right coach in here. Maybe he can salvage some careers. And at this point, like between this is what you got to look at. Dayon Buchanan will not be back with this football team, barring something unforeseen. So that's 2013, 2014 first rounders gone. So then you got DJ Humphreys, Robert Kimdichi, Hassan Reddick, right? You got to salvage two out of those three. You got to make sure that Humphreys and Reddick or Reddick and Kimdichi, two out of the three, you got to salvage and, and, and make it competent. Like at the end of the year, we need DJ Humphreys playing serviceable quality left like he's he can put together good games and he had a he had a tough night they have a great pass rush meaning Denver so like I'm not ready to write him off um so I think he's going to be okay I think they're going to keep him under contract he might even get an extension needs to play all 16 games then you need either Reddick or Kim Dichie to play well at the end of the season going into the next year so you can say that's a that's a guy who we're high on for next year based on what's happening right now, there's a better chance that Sasan Reddick than Robert Kimdichi. Both are going to be on the roster and barring something unforeseen like a trade, but you need two out of those three guys to produce. So there's that. Then he needs to nail this next head coach. And by nail, I mean like you cannot go with another under the radar, you know, inexperienced coordinator like a Steve Wilkes. Like you got to go get, somebody at the college ranks that's blowing people away like our Lincoln Riley. I talk about him every week. You got to get somebody like that because this position will be attractive, attractive place in the country to move a coach's family, all the money, you know, all the cap space, Rosen in place. Um, you're you're going to be an attractive destination. So you got to get a, not a, I don't want to call it a splashy hire, but a, a guy who can get the fan base excited about the possibilities that, that he's going to bring offensively. And then you got to nail the draft. Like you're going to have, a top three pick, maybe a top five pick, but I really believe like the Cardinals are going to win like yeah. two or three more games it's this year. It's probably a top three pick. It seems almost certain because of the rest of the schedule you have with the Raiders and Niners games looking like the only games that they're going to have a shot in. And they still probably are not going to be favored in uh, the Raiders game because it'll be on, I think it's actually, I think that runs on at home. So they may still be favored in both of those games, but it's just not a, a quality schedule. Probably about a three and 13 type season. And yeah, I, said, I know last podcast head coaches have been fired and one and done for less. Yeah. That, I mean, Jim Tom Sula, Jim Tom Sula won five games. 
with the Niners. I mean, he, he looked like a, you know, a gym, high school gym teacher, but like he won five games and really that defense played well in certain aspects. Like Steve Wilkes at no point has put together anything. Like the only reason they beat San Francisco uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whenever that was, was because of the fact that everybody was hurt and the Cardinals could have very well lost that game in the fourth quarter, but multiple turnovers by Beathard. Like they could be, yeah. If they were 0 7 right now, there's a good chance they wouldn't win a game. Like, that's how I feel. Oh, yeah. I know. That's why I'm Go so ahead. glad that they did. So we don't have to talk about 0 16. We don't have to talk about that or even have it be an option, at least. Thank goodness. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Those are the, the steps I think Kyle needs to make uh, to keep his job. And then, like, at the end of the day, like, whomever they pick, like, they could use an edge rusher. You know, that's not their biggest need, but, you know, Boza and Chandler Jones for the next five plus years, Boza for the next 10. That's a home run pick. Ed Oliver, when you have no disruption on your interior defensive line outside of Corey Peters, who I don't think will be back because uh, he's already 30 years old. Um, you know, a couple nice tackle options. Greg Little, Jonathan Williams, or Jonah Williams from Alabama, I, I think would be a, a nice player. I like Jonah Williams, uh, and I worry about Bama tackles in the past. Not to get into too much draft talk, but the <laughs> fact that they, they run so much of what the NFL runs now they play. They 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 throw so much more than they used to be. It's like when Andre Smith was drafting, was drafted by the Bengals in the first round with Nick Saban. Like they ran like fifty plus times a game. Like that that was the offense back yeah. then. They're so innovative now off- with what they do with with Tua offensively. My gosh, like, it's, the, it's a legit pro offense with the pro pass sets and running. It's yeah, like, like incredible. And the mentality and the mental aspect behind it is like it's not that there's a compared to a guy like a Joe Thomas because those guys are generational. But, you know, if that's the case, at least, and that's the investment and you're picking in the top three or you're outside of the top two picks, at least, potentially, or if you're like, hey, we've got a guy who, you know, we have the number one pick, someone's picking third, there's a second team that maybe ends up looking for a quarterback, maybe end up looking at a pick swap and moving back. I think that I'd be a guy on board with trying to find a blindside protector. But, again, I don't know if that's the direction you go because if you still have DJ Humphreys for another two years because you're in the fourth year of his deal, and he did, uh, I believe, sign that fifth-year extension, so he will be back at least. I know he's drafted in 2015, 16, 17. This is the 18. He is going to be back at least next year, and he's not really a right tackle. We've already learned about that. There's a lot you just have to kind of figure out of where it's going to go with the Cardinals and the team. And we'll know more, I think, at the end of the season. But I'm, I'm not be opposed at least to, to that type of a strategy of you just need to put bodies on this offensive line. And that's what Steve Kime really has kind of failed to do. And Mason Cole got blown up on the first play of the game, and that was what caused the tackle for loss with David Johnson. And that's the guy that you're hoping is a guy who can be a franchise center. And if he's not going to be there, then you're going into next year with him and Justin Pugh and, you know, with Humphreys potentially. And you're like, what do we really even have? Are we going to have to basically kind of scrap a lot of this and start all again with the offensive line, despite the investment that's put in? And that's what kind of is the most worrisome to me, I think. And I think that um, when you talked about with Steve Kime and some of that was getting an extra year, I I totally at least agree that I think that's what's going to happen and be likely. But I think that there is one scenario in which that he could end up losing his job. And that's if Josh Rosen keeps taking more hits if he gets hurt and you just feel this lack of confidence from Michael Bidwell of look this is four years that we've had we've had about eight games of a great offensive line so far in 2015 I don't know if he's going to be able to trust Steve Kime to be able to protect his franchise quarterback and that may be the case of if you have like a three and 13 or a two and 14 type season Rosen ends up you know in top five as far as for sacks given up and still has the different struggles I think that might be it for Steve Kime because you can just say look your entire 
thing as a former offensive lineman is to bring in and build up the offensive line and you got to do something to address the position and what they chose to do in the offseason clearly just it's it's not worked and it's almost a thing you could have seen coming Andre Smith has missed games Mike Upati he's missed a game Justin Pugh another injured offensive lineman he's missed a game he has a broken hand sometimes you can't do as much about that but it was a risk coming in he's probably been the biggest disappointment because now you're having to start talking about is this another Adam Snyder type contract of signing another veteran offensive lineman from a different team that wasn't good in pass protection paying them a bunch of money and now you're having to kind of look at the resources over the next few years of just he's not he's not played well he's a, he's a you know fantastic human being but I just I just can't I just don't know at least about that part John that's the one thing that I think is most concerning to me yeah and I think part of the next hire if Kime is on board is who what offensive coach can take his offensive line and elevate it better than they actually are because you know outside of probably like 10 teams you know a lot of teams struggle to put together quality offensive lines but with the rule changes, I think you could you can hide a lot of that. Like Chicago, the Chicago Bears don't have great tackles. Bobby Massey still starts for them at right tackle. But Matt Nagy has elevated that offense to, to new heights with Mitch Trubisky. I think they've got way less offensive personnel uh, in terms of talent than the Cardinals do outside of a couple interior offensive, offensive linemen. They have to find somebody like that that can come in and basically say, like, I can take what you have. I can I can bring Rosen to the next level. I can make him a 30-plus touchdown quarterback. I can turn DJ back into the weapon he has always been. Similar to, I mean, like, they're not going to get a Sean McVay, but, like, what Sean McVay is doing with Todd Gurley is almost identical. It's, like, identical. I pointed this out on Twitter to the Jeff Fisher situation mm-hmm. uh, three years ago. Gurley had, like, 800 yards rushing after a really nice rookie season with like 3.3 yards per carry, called it a nightmare season, running him in an eight-man fronts, nine-man fronts, no creativity. McFay's like, no, we're going to get scrap all this garbage. We'll integrate you in the passing game, which they really hadn't done yet uh, in his first two seasons, and now he's an MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the Cardinals could experience that kind of turnaround. It's interesting, John Middlecoff, as we're discussing this play, coincidentally just tweeted out, you know, somebody asked Matt LaFleur, a head coach next year, Cowboys or, or the Cardinals, and he said, no, the, the names, of course, are Flip, John DiFilippo, and then Jim Bob Cooter would be an offensive coordinator names who are getting the interviews. I don't know if you could hire Jim Bob, Jim Bob Cooter, not only for his name, but he did have a, uh, uh, a situation where he did break into somebody's home, I think, like a decade ago or something like that. Like, he's got a rap sheet, and so I don't, I don't think he'll ever be an offensive head coach. Uh, but you can clearly see now, like, there's going to be – steam picking up that's something else for Cardinal fans to watch is like what offenses are clicking at the end of the year putting up big point totals what are the hot coordinator names heading into the playoffs outside of DiFilippo that the Cardinal fans can start connecting the dots to as the Cardinals continue to struggle offensively and will Steve Kime look to the college ranks because so much of what the college level does is is kind of mirrors what the NFL does and vice versa Really, it's what the NFL took from the college level that's, that's you know, happened kind of parallel to these point total explosions. So, um, again, it'll be interesting. I'm excited for the offseason. As crazy that, as that sounds, it was kind of nice. Not watching the Cardinals today. We're recording on October 21st, this, the first Sunday without Cardinal football this year because they played Thursday night. I was just able to watch the games kind of, like, objectively and be like, well, like this team does this well, and I wasn't paranoid and worried about you know how the Cardinals would play. It's kind of like a healthy mindset now is like outside of Rosen getting injured, which damn near happened on Thursday, like 
I can look at this team in a meaningless situation. Oh my God. Right. I can look at this team and basically say, you know, it's a rebuild, but at the same time, like Chicago was a ter- in a terrible situation a year ago. They're, you know, borderline playoff team. It's easy to flip your roster. That's the great thing about the NFL. It's easy to flip your roster in one off season uh, in the NFL in which you can't do that in major league baseball and in the NBA, like the Cardinals may have had, you know, a couple bad signings, you know, the Pew signing doesn't look great, but like guys can be cut, guys can be traded. You can eat dead money. The Cardinals are going to have a ton of money available. You know, I, I don't, I wouldn't imagine Larry Fitzgerald returns. If it's another new coaching staff, um, you know, you get Palmer's salary off the books. You get Tyron's remaining salary off the books, you know, Dayon Buchanan's salary off the books. You've got a lot of money that frees up now. And, you know, you just got to trust that Steve Kime can, can spend it wisely. And I think, you know, outside of a couple I – I didn't mind the Pew signing, but outside of a couple like the Gresham signing, the Bradford signing, like he's been mostly money in, in free agency. And hopefully that's the Steve Kime that we get this offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's just – it's the – that's the thing I think that when you're looking at that is it feels almost like if they decide to let go of Steve Wilkes and Steve Kime, Kime would be kind of on his last chance in that sense, at least as far as for the next time. And maybe that is the case if he's got a lot more job security. Maybe if you do end up letting go of Wilkes, it is going to be a total house cleaning in that regard. And um, I, yeah, I just don't know. I think some of the areas I think is it's going to depend on what the turnarounds will look like, what that'll be. As far as for the college coaches, the most frustrating thing to me is you and I even talked about this as far as for why we love Filippo and how if you're looking at this year being a rebuilding year and that's how the Cardinals clearly they should have walked into this year of just saying this is a rebuilding year we don't need to pay a guy like a Sam Bradford May, you don't even need to bring a guy like a Teddy you could just bring in like another type of veteran office student or even go with a guy like a Mike Lennon and if Rosen wins the job in camp then great they decided to, they said they wanted to have their cake and eat it too and I think it was just a either lack of talent or a, a sense of belief or just kind of a convincing themselves and that's what's most frustrating is is that they had other players and fan bases bought into it too instead of just admitting this is a rebuilding year let's see what Byron Leftwich does have an offensive coordinator uh, some fans I think are looking at potentially of seeing if hey if he does a good enough job is it something where he just gets promoted end of the year I, I don't know if he even has that much as far as for the level of experience maybe you could see a quick and fast rise like you know I think that we, we take a look at uh, Previously with Sean McVay, at least, as far as maybe it is that type of meteoric rise where, you know, as a goes from an offensive coordinator very quickly to a head coach, maybe it does go down that path of taking that next step then of just saying, all right, now we just need to find our defensive coordinator who can go back and can adapt to the scheme and the, the plans that we have, at least. And, you know, McVay, he was a guy who was an offensive coordinator for three years of 2014, 15, and 16. I, I, I think what was interesting was that the Cardinals were almost kind of in a spot of they passing DiFilippo because he had one year of offensive coordinator experience at the time, and then he was the quarterback's coach. We could see that he had a lot more to do with the Eagles' success, and you can see how they've been playing. Carson Wentz did not have a, a good end to his game today. I don't think that's fully on, you know, the lack of the talent that's gone, but you can always see at least a lot of the trajectory of where the talent kind of leaves. You can see how a lot of teams can struggle or suffer next year we see that with how Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur both left the Falcons following year Matt Ryan did not have nearly nearly close to an MVP season I think that this is a spot of for the Cardinals of Byron Leftwich maybe this is an audition for that one we'll talk a bit about his scheme over here in just a second but 
I think it is a spot of where you just need to look at the Cardinals had an opportunity to make this right and to do what we had talked about of just hire DiFilippo, bring in the guy like a Vic Fangio or a veteran defensive coordinator with him, be able to accept that it's a rebuilding year and then just focus on building with your rookie quarterback and being able to find success as it came. They chose to not do that. And now as a result, you're kind of looking at, is this kind of the fireable offensive they'll have where they'll have to go back to that method? They're already basically admitting they were wrong. And this is just what's frustrating to me was that the process behind that they used with Steve with Michael Bidwell even looking at like if they were going to promote a guy like a James Betcher they'd have still had Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator they still had bought into this guy who was you know advertising that he's going to use and adapt to the players the opposite was true you're kind of buying into the used car salesman who's like you know the car still runs well it's great may have to replace a couple of parts overall at least like that when you find out you know it's got a bad engine after a while that's the thing what frustrates me the most John is that this is a thing that we as fans like were wondering about and could see coming and the team still went in the opposite direction that just gives a little bit of concern, I think, at least with that for me, with Steve Keim and the direction. And I'm not saying that Steve Keim should be fired. I think that he's for sure going to – he's the guy who's obviously going to be back next year. But if the team continues to have these similar type of losses in similar areas, it just would not shock me if they decided to clean house and look at some of the talented – prospect evaluators out there. I think Elliot Wolf and some other people who are with the Chiefs or other backgrounds or maybe even just somehow how the Andy Reid coaching tree has gone as we see how well Patrick Mahomes has, you know, flourished in that stead. Uh, coming up in the next part of the Bird King Blitz podcast, we're going to break down just what we've seen from Byron Leftwich, some of who he is, what we can expect from him as a new Cardinals offensive coordinator. Is, is this going to be an offense that's going to turn it around underneath him or is it kind of dead and gone that this is just going to be more of the same of being able to take Mike McCoy's scheme there's not too much we'll be able to see that'll be coming up here next along with preview of the Niners game on the Bird Gang Blitz podcast connect with others who work for themselves connect with like minds new ideas and fellow creators connect with innovators industry experts mentors and potential partners Connect with risk takers, connect with opportunity and new possibilities. Connect with your inner leader, explorer, or inventor. Connect with what your business needs to succeed at QuickBooks Connect. Join us November 6th at the San Jose Convention Center. QuickBooks Connect, backing your path to success. Register now at quickbooksconnect.com. And we're back here on the Bird Game Blitz podcast. So, John, let's talk a bit about Byron Leftwich. What are some of your early impressions? Because he came on as a coaching intern in 2016. I had forgotten about that, honestly. I thought he had only been there at 2017. And he's now the became the quarterback's coach. Just, you know, he's younger, I think, uh, than Carson Palmer at the time, who was the quarterback's coach last year. What do you think we're going to see from Leftwich with him and his offense so far with the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, aggression. I think that we will see an aggressive style of play calling similar to what we saw under Bruce Arians. He's not going to be Bruce Arians. Nobody is. And so I think that's unrealistic, but I think that we're going to see some of the same schematic, you know, concepts in terms of flanking David Johnson out as a receiver, the vertical seven step drop passing attack, uh, stretching the field with Christian Kirk, stretching the field with Chad Williams, incorporating Larry Fitzgerald as a primary target out of the slot and just hopefully some creativity some aggression, some creativity, a sense of urgency. I hope we see the same thing from Steve Wilkes. I hope we see this team go for it on fourth down on the opposite side of the 50, if they're on their opponent's side of the 50, knowing that this team needs a fire lit under it. And so, Blake, you did a nice job of, of designing it uh, on Twitter. But, you know, the first two series, I believe, uh, of the um, Bears game, when the Cardinals jumped out to an early 14 nothing lead, those were scripted from Byron Leftwich, those that passed to David Johnson mm -hmm. in the end zone, the success that they had um, early on in the Bears game, 
that was a lot uh, schematically from from Byron Leftwich. So really, the Cardinals' most productive quarter this season has already been from their new interim offensive coordinator. So that bodes well for this team. I, I will make a prediction. I think that they will have over 300 yards of offense against the Niners, uh, which is not overly difficult, but uh, it would be an achievement for this team right now. And I think that the Cardinals put up 28 points, and I don't want to get in predictions quite yet for that Niner game, but I, I think that we'll see an aggressive style of play, assuming Rosen's healthy. If Rosen's not going to play, uh, which by all accounts he will, then, then this, this is all at the door But because it's all contingent with him. But I think we're going to see somebody who's going to come in and hopefully provide some innovation. Listen, you've still got the below-average offensive line. You've still got you know inconsistencies with the receivers. But I, I think at the very least, Blake will see a resurgence a little bit from David Johnson, especially when it ta- when you talk about the usage. I think that, you know, Chase Edmonds to me, his look fine, but like there's no reason that he should play, you know, a third of the time, a fourth of the time. Like David Johnson needs to be, you know, taking in 90% of the reps at running back. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially when I was interesting looking at Chase Edmonds about how uh, I believe, and I've got the pulling up the stats at least right here. He has just not been who they were thinking he was going to be. They're advertising him as basically a guy who's good enough to take away reps. And David Johnson were really high and bullish on him. He's just not there yet, and perhaps that's just the scheme and just the player that he is right now having to adjust. But you look at him; he basically got five carries in total of nine yards, and it was just a spot of he's just not there as far as. And I think when he's in the game, it becomes pretty obvious to teams what they were going to do. Now, I took a look back and broke down some of those plays that we saw from Byron Leftwich, and then went back and watched the game where under Bruce Arians offense when he was doing the play calling against the Raiders in 2017 which curiously enough he ended up passing up Harold Goodwin in that sense very quickly um Goodwin when he was calling some of the games they said he would focus a lot more on the offensive line and sometimes not the entirety of it I think that being at the quarterback position for years allows Leftwich to be able to see and to read and to be able to know him he apparently has a, a high value on what he calls the intellectual property of the offensive coordinator position meaning he doesn't like share or spit out as much about oh yeah well we got this great concept designed up where we really free the tight end across at least the flat on a third down play by baiting them to thinking it's a run and then the team hears that and is able to recognize some of the mentality he kind of seems to understand to hold some of that close to the chest I think of like with Bruce Arians with that shovel pass that they ran against the Packers and that that was like oh my gosh that was a genius play call perfect for that situation because it was a low risk high reward type of play right out of the old school playbook that was just like oh it was great it was like someone kind of came up with that way back in training camp they kept it all the way through think of the Eagles with the Super Bowl with the you know the famous Philly special we talk about now that play wasn't even practiced by them throughout the week because they were afraid that in case anyone was you know trying to do another type of video gate or anything at least for the Patriots as we found out you know with after their Super Bowl previously they didn't run that play they had it tucked away at least for a long time just they could bust it out at the absolute time that they needed it to I think it's that type of aggressive mentality and that type of understanding that it's not as much about execution it's about being able to be creative and to be able to execute at least that I think that Byron Leftwich is going to be able to bring to the table whereas Mike McCoy is solely focused I think in you know a two early 2000s or other plays at least that will work the biggest thing I think that we'll see out of his offense is going to be much better 
better use of space. Um, you can even look at the last kind of charting of David Johnson with under Mike McCoy. They showed every single one of the plays he ran uh, layered on top of one. And it was literally going straight up the middle, whether it was right of center or left of center. Every single play was right up the middle for him. And then the pass plays were basically just small swings out to the side. And most of what I think the Cardinals have been doing is trying to work in a small window of offense. You look at a lot, how many play, how many pass plays were batted down because they were deep out comeback routes that the receiver had to run back to. The cornerbacks could watch on film, know they were coming, just have to break on the ball a little quicker and knock the ball down and away. It was just got so predictable and it made use of you trying to throw this into a small, tight window rather than just trying to hit a guy in the middle of the field that's open. They've just not been using the middle of the field, not been using crossing patterns. I think we'll see all of that. I think will come a bit more into fruition with Leftwich. And I'll just break down a couple of just some of the plays. You took a look at the David Johnson touchdown and had that was drawn up and designed. You had three guys in the area and the way that it was stacked was you had a stack guy for someone who was close, a guy who was kind of far away. You cleared out the zone and that mean that David Johnson was there. Uh, safety was already on the other side of the field because you had JJ Nelson I believe it was like running a deep route so the safety was favoring that side. So when you cleared that out, you put a linebacker on David Johnson. He just ran right past him and was wide open for the touchdown. The safety couldn't get over in time. It was a brilliant move of here's how we can take the idea of space and the idea of getting a lot of players into one spot and being able to kind of abuse the zone concept that you saw from the from the Bears. I thought it was just a great, well-designed play. The next one you had that was interesting was it was off of play action, something we talked about how – the Cardinals have not used uh, play action very much, if at all, under Mike McCoy. Uh, it has been very, very rare. They used play action. They had 13 personnel. So there's three tight ends in the game. You're expecting, okay, this is going to be them running the football. Whenever Mike McCoy had they ran the football. Instead of running the football, they went and passed, and you looked at what they did was they had J.J. Nelson running up along the side of the field. You looked at how they had Jermaine Gresham was kind of broken off to the right-hand side. What they really did was that they put in Ricky Seals-Jones in a case where he blocked and then ran up, and because of the way that they had drawn up the play – the linebacker that they had was kind of covering David Johnson coming out of the flat. So think of it as a simple numbers game. You had one guy in coverage and two players you're going to have to cover, and his assignment was to cover David Johnson because it's David freaking Johnson. You don't want him to dump off the ball and be able to pick up a first down at least in second and ten. So what then – I think it was actually first and ten. It was, uh, I believe, right off of one of the turnovers. So what that did was it meant that Ricky Seals-Jones, the great receiver he is, was wide open because of the numbers game. And it was such a well-designed and well-executed play of tricking the defense into thinking you're going to run the ball you're actually using the play action which freed it up and then just clearing out a little bit of the zone by using some of those ideas of concepts of what's the defense going to bite on and then it gets your guy free it's the same thing we've seen the rams have been doing all season long it's the same thing we've been seeing some of kansas city do and i think that we're going to end up like you say i agree whenever you see a coach turn over you usually see some success if you fire defensive coordinator defense is fired up the next day you fire an offensive coordinator you know sometimes even if you fire a head coach they want to support the interim head coach i know bruce arians and he came in was the interim coach so so, yeah, John, I've got optimism. I think the Cardinals are still maybe not as much in the talent department, but I think we're going to start seeing a bit more of Larry Fitzgerald used well. I think you'll see David Johnson used well. And I think even we're going to see some play action and the deep game to Christian Kirk where he's going to be able to get more free on some of these later routes. So I've got excitement for where I think that this offense could go. I think it's been well overdue to see this. I don't think it's going to be perfect because, again, you're not going to be able to fix the offensive line with the injuries. You're not going to be able to stop the wide receivers from being able to have to drop the pass. And you still probably need a guy to step up to kind of maybe replace Chad Williams in the outside. And Ricky Seals-Jones might be out now, and Jermaine Gresham has been struggling. So I don't think this is going to be a quick fix. But I think you're going to start to see the Cardinals and their offense give them a chance to win games rather than saying you need to have your, have your defense force five turnovers if you're going to have any chance of winning the football game. 
Yep, agreed. And I think it's the perfect opportunity to transition uh, this this coaching, you know, turnover with with a, a team like the 49ers. I think it gives you the opportunity to to try a lot of different things. You're not going up against you know the vaunted Denver pass rush, uh, so to speak, or going up against one of the worst defenses in the NFL, a defense that's to date's given up 218 points. Uh, that has uh, no threat of a pass rush, really, and a team that I thought uh, the Cardinals left a lot of points on the board against them when they played three weeks ago. Uh, they scored 28 points and probably should have had 30-plus points. Rosen was not particularly sharp in that game uh, and and missed a lot of targets uncharacteristically of, of him. And so I, I think there will be opportunities for the Cardinals uh, – you can tell based on the, the scouting report that's going to come out this week that Niners have had a plethora of injuries, especially on the defensive side of the, of the ball. Uh, Ruben Foster came out of the game today, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, Blake, but C.J. Beathard played great against the, the Packers on Monday night, but again, his turnovers have just cost his team considerably. You can probably mark him down for at least one or two turnovers next weekend. The Cardinals can somehow establish any kind of, of a run game. I think that they have an opportunity. These are probably the two worst teams in the NFL. Uh, the Cardinals because of coaching and the Niners because of personnel. They just don't have mm-hmm. quality NFL players, uh, you know, really offensively or defensively um, outside of, you know, the George Kittles of the world who are having a, a nice season. But, you know, Beathard's inability to, to have any kind of ball security and then yeah. defensively, the Niners secondary, they could use like legitimately like four new starters in their secondary in the offseason. So uh, I think that – Richard Sherman gonna... didn't play today, and it was such an impact on the game. My gosh, yeah. like you, you could see just how poorly they were able to defend some of the wide receivers because Sherman, like he's still been playing at a really high level where guys he's been asked to be a man coverage corner. But And the Niners, they also – they've got the worst turnover differential in the NFL. They're at minus 11. After that, the next couple teams are with – Jacksonville, which is part of why Blake Bortles was benched. Tampa Bay, they got Jameis can throw a few picks, and Ryan Fitzpatrick would always, you know, turn the ball over as much as he'd throw for it. You had Oakland, the Giants, and then Arizona's only at minus three. So you're talking about a team at minus 11, which is well far and away worse as far as turning the ball over. For the Cardinals, it's, it's hard to turn the ball over when you literally never have the ball and continually <laughs> have the most three and outs in football. Um, and thankfully, the Cardinals were actually able to pick up a couple first downs this week on third down. Uh, but back to the Niners, they actually had a very nice draft class. Mike McGlinchey, to me, is the best really rookie offensive tackle coming out. Uh, the ninth overall pick from Notre Dame, the Cardinals would be lucky to find something similar in this draft. So between he playing right tackle and Joe, T- and Joe Staley at left tackle, got a nice offensive line. Their offensive line has been playing well this season. Fred Warner, inside linebacker out of BYU, is somebody who's continually flashed for them and has put up uh, a nice rookie season thus far. But, you know, outside of a couple bright spots, this is a team that I think that, you know, I'd be interested when the line comes out for this game. I don't think it's out quite yet. Uh, Let me pull it up here. Um, No, there's no line yet for the game. Uh, But on the matchup predictor, uh, they've got the Niners uh, right now on ESPN's Power Football Index, uh, a 60 to 40% favor. And that sounds about right, just because Kyle Shanahan – is a, is a very strong offensive mind. And Steve Wilkes, even with 10 days to prepare, is is a bottom-tier NFL coach. So, uh, again, we'll see. Uh, home field advantage may not mean much these days outside of what we've seen uh, from the Cardinals and the, and the Denver Broncos on Thursday. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where it'll be interesting to see if the Niners come out and because, I mean, in some cases, you could even almost call this the Bosa Bowl just because, you know, you'd expect that the Niners would maybe be able to pick up another game at least at some point just because they've, you know, they struggle with putting points on the board today, but there hasn't been as much of a problem for them if they're playing worse defenses over on the past. Like, even look at the, the Packers game they're playing up. They were in that until the end, up until they basically kind of botched at the end and Aaron Rodgers took over, did what he did and won the game in regular time at least versus in uh, having it sent to overtime. And so I think that that's where at some point of it is the Niners do end up as the number one pick. And if you end up seeing that maybe you end up in a different spot where a team trades up number one don't have to worry about it but it'll be interesting as far as for looking back on the season because I know you and I had talked a lot about how we just wondered if the going at 15 if it was too late to get a quarterback the way that the board ended up falling you got the fourth quarterback at least but interesting this year to see at least if you're going to be you know falling outside of those top three picks or even at the top two if you're looking at a difference maker like the Bosa or Oliver because if they go to your rival and that's another part of what's Garoppolo when he comes back at least next year you're going to start to look at you know that's a team that just got at least a bit tougher in that regard and uh, it's just going to be interesting to see so um, but yeah I, I think at least the biggest in Cardinals fans to look forward to right now is going to be what the offense will look like and Rosen if he does end up getting hurt or going down it's going to just be painful to be able to go on each week to have to figure out with you know Bradford Glenn it'll feel like you're back in that 2012 year where you said no quarterback what was going on so I think that's the biggest redeeming factor overall of Steve Kimes tenure right now with the Cardinals is you know we're not talking about you know Bradford or Glenn or this is as a disappointment you at least have the hope and you're able to see that that progress is made each week and it's also kind of clear I think now to fans that a lot of people aren't expecting Steve Wilkes to be fired I think that this game may be the one that changes people's minds because I, I think it's just going to be tougher here and up maybe even if the offense turns around for the most part, it's going to be hard to credit a lot of that to Wilkes when you're looking and seeing the lack of adjustment if Leftwich comes out. And it's just going to be all, uh, it's going to be a different year next year no matter what, just because the, even this year they're kind of trying to keep some of the core of that Cardinals team from Arians. But uh, before we get out of here, John, can you just talk a little bit about the, your predictions, at least for the game? It's at home for the Cardinals, which I think is the best-case scenario. They don't have to travel to San Francisco. I think Rosen's first road start was one of the things that was you know tough about that. Um, you got to see that he just did not play overall very well in that first road. So he did a little bit better in the Minnesota game, but it was obviously still a blowout with uh, <laughs> the old Mike McCoy offense that they had there. And they knew that they had the Thursday night game upcoming. But what are your predictions for, again, you think this is a game that the Cardinals are going to win? Or is this going to be kind of another step back, at least, of just saying, hey, now we're losing to the Niners that the worst, you know, worst record in the NFL, maybe outside of the Raiders for the most part. What, what are your thoughts on what you would predict for the game? I don't think they'll win. Uh, I think that they'll play well offensively because of the coaching change that usually inspires some hope. Uh, but defensively, I just, I think that Kyle Shanahan's going to be able to do what he wants, even with a backup quarterback, a backup running back. I think their offensive line to be is going to be the difference. And I think that uh, their running game, I think will pose a lot of problems for the Cardinals defensively. So they'll be able to control the line of scrimmage. They'll be able to control the clock. I think the Cardinals are going to lose something to the effect of like a 30 to 24, 30 to 26 uh, in that range. But I do think the Cardinals go over 300 yards. I think Rosen plays well, throws, has his first multi-TD game, which will be exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like in the grand scheme of things, like this is not a game that is a must win for anybody at this point. I mean, the chips are all on the table already with Steve Wilkes. Like you mentioned, the Cardinals have their win. They can go one and 15, like nobody cares. Let's see some small victories within the game, taking some steps forward, uh, especially from Rosen and some of the offensive guys like DJ and, and build on that. But I just, 
I think schematically, defensively right now, they can't stop anybody, especially on the ground. So I, I think they end up losing this game. Yeah, I'll give them my thing. I think that they're going to win the game as far as just the improvement that they'll have from getting rid of Mike McCoy. You know, a lot of people have said that with Mike McCoy is that he's kind of a prick and you know, the long hours at the office and a lot of that. I think that just the the fact that they're bringing in a guy who is a former player like Leftwich, who I think is very likable overall, at least from every spot. Like, you can talk about, if you want to say, like, how likable he is, you just can even go back to his college year of, you know, just the playing through the injury he had or that famous sequence of him basically being carried by his offensive lineman down the field. I think that it's going going to be a lot of uh especially on the offensive side because they'll be able to finally have some of the new plates I think that you'll be able to see a bit more of Johnson's usage I think that the Cardinals because of that and the fact that again as far as the, for turnovers Josh Rosen was going up against the Denver defense I believe they had four turnovers and it was in a poorly prepped Thursday night game that you knew was going to be a disappointing game overall at least as far as the turnover that started right up front with the batted ball and a passing play that really just shouldn't have been there I think the Cardinals will end up winning this game because I think that that's going to be enough that swings in where between that and between the fact that Matt Breda still is not playing his ankle injury has been you know bothering him the Niners I think are just in a team where they're just turning the ball way too much over they turned it over four times against the Rams I think that because of the new system and how it's set up I don't see that same type of forcing um, turnovers that you're going to see from in the past. At least not, Rosen didn't turn it over at all against the Niners defense. They've been struggling in a lot of areas. I think I'm going to pick the Cardinals to win this one. And I think that might be – the question that we'll have to ask is, is that going to be their last win of the year? At least if Gruden comes in with the Raiders, are they going to be, you know, trying to – not like tanking by that point because I don't think that truly happens in the NFL. But I think that will be kind of the thing that we'll talk about is just going to be here's the differences that we saw. Here's what we saw at the offense. I think that once you stop running the ball up the middle on first down, I think that's going to open up the offense a whole lot more so we'll see what goes on and happens if the Cardinals do drop this game it's just going to be a huge indictment I think on Wilkes as far as for men like what, what you're going up against a team with terrible turnover differential and all of that I think that would be a huge indictment against Steve Wilkes if that is indeed another loss all right so yeah we can break down at least for that one with John um, let me know where they can uh, let the, uh, the listeners know thank you guys so much again for always tuning in for the show where can they find you on Twitter I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm at Blake Murphy 7 I'm working on trying to get a couple of the plays that left, which is basically used from both the game where he was calling the plays. Um, it was a really fascinating and positive thing to see just, you know, in a, one of the, again, like I think there was one other play I looked at of just how positive you had the same 11 type of personnel that you saw with Mike McCoy. They motioned Andre Ellington in that game because he was a backup into one of those outside positions. And then when they ran their offense and everything, matched him up against a linebacker on third and seven. And it was this beautiful type of, I think it was like a, not, it wasn't a curl out at least but it's kind of like the square out for a running out of bounds where it wasn't the type of comeback. It was an interesting way of just taking that idea of the space using the matchups. And it really makes me hope that David Johnson can actually be able to have his first 100-yard game of the season on Sunday. If he doesn't and we see more of the struggles, there's going to be a, a whole lot of questions, I think, moving forward. So hopefully you'll see some of that rehabilitation. So I'll be breaking down some of those plays, what we have in the offense, and then some of what we can expect for Revenge of the Birds this week. And then uh, you can find me at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter. Always uh, happy to be able to talk any type of football. And uh, yeah, let's go Cardinals for that one. Thank you again for listening and tuning in. You can find us, of course, on revengeofthebirds.com. We'll always post those there on Blog Talk Radio as well as uh, Apple Podcasts, especially. Make sure that you do like and subscribe if you love the comments. Keep some of the questions coming in. We had a question that we didn't get to this week about the play of Dan Buchanan and Hassan 
Redick as far as for being able to what the play will look like. I think, again, like you said, John, it's, it's just going to probably be more of they have to play Redick to see what they have with them, and they know they're moving on from Buchanan. Maybe he's one of those trade targets we look for, and I think we haven't even mentioned about J.J. Nelson moving on was another question of yep. the Cardinals wide receivers. I think Dallas is, a, Dallas is a name to watch because I know that Dallas had interest mm-hmm. in J.J. Nelson in the preseason, so I could see him move for a, either a player or like like a seventh rounder. Yeah, absolutely. And some even had talked about Demarius Thomas type of rumors, at least for that one. I don't know if that's a final kind of question for you as we head out tonight, John. I feel like it would just be for the contract and the amount it's worth. It might help Josh now, but it might kill you a little bit more next year and looking for being able to get a guy who's, you know, not over the hill and a little bit past the break and you're kind of the one then taking on that huge contract. So I, I'd lean against that mid season, especially be so hard to jump into all of the scheme and to make a, to make a true impact, even if it's going to be better than what you have now. Yeah. Generally with a receiver and trading, you're looking like a one trick pony, like a guy who can stretch the field because to implement a receiver into a new offense right away. I mean, we've seen it with new England uh, time and time again, they bring in guys in mid season. It's, it's worked because they have Tom Brady, but with the Cardinals specifically, you're going to go into next year. Christian Kirk is going to be your number one option. I think they'll sign one in the off season, maybe two. And I think they'll draft one. And so it's like, you really want to go. Demarius Thomas has not been good, even though statistically he's been okay. Emmanuel Sanders is the best receiver on that team. And Cortland Sutton, who I liked at a SMU, uh, is a rookie this year, is having a really nice first half of the season. That's the only reason they're going to move on from DT is because they've got their two outside receivers uh, moving forward, and Sutton has really outplayed Thomas. So why would you want to go and take on him? Uh, other teams that may consider themselves in the running for playoff spot like them or like the Dallas Cowboys, it may make sense, but not for the Cardinals. Yeah, I totally agree. At least that's something. It's interesting also with, you know, with all of the receiving and everything like that one. Um, big news that we had from this week, at least as far as for that one that I, I wish I would have talked about was Christian Kirk officially be, kind of passed up as now the number one of the rookie wide receivers, whether that's due to necessity or anything. But it just shows that, you know, Cardinals have something to build around with Rosen and Kirk for the future on offense. And they got David Jones for the next few years. It's a time of positivity in some ways, but it's also a time of just like that. You have to recognize, I think, that they made a mistake and have to be able to find the right path and the right timing to be able to recognize where it is and move on and we'll see what goes the rest of the season is going to be fascinating for me to watch as Byron Leftwich comes in we can see what the Cardinals might look like now that they have potentially a real offensive coordinator uh, again thanks for tuning in to the Bird Gang Blitz and we'll be back to talk with you guys next week in the meantime go Cardinals and uh, take care I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. 
I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.